Yeah, there's no doubt I was uh, wrecked after last week. Wow. Um, but it's a good little epilogue, actually, um, for those who are here. Um, just we, were, we showed a clip of uh, Reinhard Bonnke in Nigeria about 20 years ago. Uh, but that ministry is still going. In fact, the last two weeks they've been in uh, Zambia, uh, which has been really exciting. They've uh, had uh, just you know, tremendous testimony, a lot of miraculous healings. Over a million people have registered a decision for Christ. Um, Zambia is only 20 million people. That's Australia people. It's a million people in two weeks. It's phenomenal stuff. Um, and I was, there, there was a little saying actually of um, Reinhardt, which I didn't quote last week, but I just thought it would be fitting just to recap the end of that as we go into today's session. Um, after he was telling, telling that story about Richard that I shared, of the, the guy who'd come out of prison at the last minute. Um, and Reinhardt says, when I was a young man, I walked from promise to promise in anticipation. Now, as an old man, I walk from fulfilment to fulfilment. He sees the reality of that come. And he said, this book, and we're going to go through that today, but this book is full of such glorious happenings, and I can only hope it inspires the younger generation to dare God for even greater things. And that is our hope. It's my hope this morning you've come somewhat hungry because uh, it was an important message last week that we get to that place where we really desire the things of God. Otherwise, we'll get to today and meh. I really won't care that much for it. Um, but if you are hungry, today is going to talk somewhat about fulfilment. In fact, there's a, a verse in Matthew 21 where Jesus says, you can ask in prayer, anything you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. So if you ask, you'll receive. In between is believe. Last week, I wanted you to ask. I want you to ask something of God. I want you to cry out to him because he answers the cry of the heart. We want to see that fulfilled in the glue in the middle is to believe, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, uh, Paul mentioned this is the beginning of a series. It's called Living In. Essentially, it is going through the day-to-day -day practical realities of being a Christian. And we've broken down into three main segments. Firstly, us going to, in Christ. What does that look like? What does that mean? Secondly, Christ in us. What does that look like? And finally, we are in the world. How do we live in the world? What does that look like? We trust this can be very practical, but a lot of this comes down to fundamentally the way you apply it. It's not complicated stuff, most of this. In fact, today's message is really quite simple. Um, it won't find it particularly interesting. If, you're, if you came here to get your intellect tickled, it's not going to be tintillating in any particular way. Um, but it's the kind of thing, and I've seen this in my own experience, because some things came to me a couple of weeks ago as I started work on this before I realised I was also preaching last week. Um, but it really changed me and it still does to this day and so I trust those same realities will come alive uh, for you today. We're going to start uh, in John chapter 15 and in fact the entire series is going to revolve around uh, these chapters between John chapter 14 and 18 but if I can get you to open to John chapter 15 for today's text, our starting point. And I'll give you time to actually it out this time. John chapter 15 from verse 1. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that bears fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. And we'll leave it there, verses 1 to 5. The very first verse gives us a little clue about what, where this all starts. I am the true vine. This is a Jesus-centred theology. This is a work that he does and it is someone who he is. And this is going to take a fair bit of pressure off us in terms of how we actually get hold of these truths. Jesus is the true vine and he states something about us that we're going to get hold of today, God willing. A lot of this, the sermon today is, in, is essentially about this concept of abiding. And so those last couple of verses we talked about, abide in me, I in you. Um, and it is phenomenal because without this truth, as Jesus made very plain there, we're not going to be able to do anything at all. So unless we've got a sense of what this is, literally everything is wasted. And so it, it is of such importance that yeah, literally walk along with this, you'll get nothing. If you get hold of this, you can do everything, conversely. And for a while there, I had a slightly wrong idea about this word abide. It is a slightly old word. In fact, some of the younger generation may not even have a clue what it even means now, um, this idea of abide. So I might even use some slightly different words today. It is a very straightforward. It's literally more remain, stay. It's kind of abide. We used, you know, in the old-fashioned sense, we used to say that's where your home was. That's where you stayed. It's where you slept and fed ideally and didn't golf to work too hard um, you stay and that is fundamentally the concept that we stay in Christ or remain in him we're going to explore that but to do that let's go back to the very beginning and in fact before I do that I'm just going to pray again if that's all right and then we'll, we'll get into this uh, from Genesis 1:1. father thank you so much Lord that your word is truth Lord and again I just come before you father knowing that uh, all my words are empty and pretty useless father now but i know even as jesus spoke your words father i pray you would speak through me this morning lord lord i pray that your word would come alive today father not because it is uh, engaging intellectually but father because your spirit is behind it and because you're desiring to move in your people lord so i pray that you'll do that for us this morning in jesus name amen let's flip through to genesis 1 1 because i want to talk a little bit about a pattern to get a bit of a sense of what we mean by abide. We know initially, yet yeah, remain, stay, yeah, but stay in what? What are we remaining in? So we go to Genesis 1. We'll just pick off verse 3 there. Um, these are the first recorded words of God. Then God said, let there be light. Everyone else knows this verse. And there was light. All right. Such is the power of the word of God that everything that ever came, came from his word. It breathed um, words and life came into being. Light came into being. Every material aspect of our uh, existence came into being. But then if we flip over to chapter 2 and take a look at verse 15. God says a slightly different kind of word. He says it to his people, Adam and Eve, whom he had created. Verse 15 uh, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. This is God's first command, as it was, 
Well, no, sorry, I'll take that, not first. He, did, he, he had essentially told them to be fruitful and multiply. Um, but certainly, as in terms of very specific, do not touch this thing. This is the first of its kind. When we get God's words, it's very important to us how, well, very important how we receive them, yeah? Okay, it's one thing to receive the words, another thing to actually listen to it or believe it. And just notice when we get to chapter 3, and we see the appearance of that evil one, the devil, and the very first thing he wants to do is start to challenge this word of God. In verse 3, oh, sorry, in chapter 3, verse 2, he, this is the devil, said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? Has God indeed said? So this is the nature of the devil's work. Is when you get the word of God, which is the very first thing that breathed life into our very existence, the devil's first thing is to try and challenge it. Say, no, did God actually say that? Now, for anyone who knows anything about the Bible, um, and if you don't, that's fine. Uh, fundamentally, Eve didn't listen. She was... You know, tempted, well, I guess she was convinced by the twisted words of the devil and she no longer believed what God said. She thought something different. She took the fruit on that basis. And th thus sin entered the world and we've corrupted humanity and the world ever since. But this is the basic premise that God's word came. The devil challenged whether we believe it. And in that very first instance, we said, no, we don't believe God's word. And that's what Eve did, and that's what we've done literally ever since. And so we're going to go through round two now, which is God's going to give us a word, and we're going to believe it. And are we actually going to believe it? That's the question. When we come to round two, let's go to, back to the book of John where we were now, and just consider how that book actually starts out. These words are fairly well known, in fact, because they sound very similar to Genesis 1-1 that we just started from. In the beginning was the Word. It talks again about the very starting point was the Word of God. But here we're given a slightly different take on it because now we're identifying it with Jesus Christ. Because verse 14, John 1, 14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is round two. Jesus comes, the Word of God in flesh. And now the question is, what are we going to do with, this, with it this time? The very first word that God had said and the devil twisted, and Eve didn't believe. What are we going to do when Jesus comes, the word of God, do we believe it? Let's go flip through to John 6, just a few chapters afterwards. I love this sort of narrative that plays out really effortlessly over these passages in John, because it's essentially talking about this word has become flesh, and then Jesus starts talking about the, the crux of our response to God's word becomes results in eternal life or vice versa. So what you do with Jesus Christ, the word of God, whether you believe it or not believe it, is the crux. So chapter 6, if we get to verse 26, what had happened is that Jesus had fed, done a great miracle feeding the 5,000. He had quite the following, you can imagine, not only because of the miracles, but just the sheer practical reality that they were getting fed and you know, food's quite good for the most part. So people were quite happy to follow after him because they thought they might get fed more. So in verse 26, Jesus comes back to them and says, Most assuredly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw uh, the signs, not because you saw the miracle, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. You were quite happy getting some bread. But he says, Do not labour for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life 
which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. So don't labour for food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life. The response of the crowd here is important because they say, well, what shall we do that we make work the works of God? How are we going to work to obtain this labour? He says, do not labour for food which perishes, labour for the food which endures. Okay, well, how are we going to labour work towards this food? And Jesus says in verse 29, this is the work of God. There is some labour involved, but it's really not much. And we'll talk a bit more about that in a moment. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. The word of God has come, and this is our response. Uh, What are we going to do with Jesus who comes? John 1 has talked a lot about those who received him entered into eternal life. Because God has sent his word again through his son and said, what are you going to do with him? And throughout the rest of this um, passage, he's going to keep saying that. Let's say verse 35, Jesus starts expanding on the analogy a bit more. Okay, saying, don't labour for the food that perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life. He now says in verse 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me, another expression, he who welcome him, receive him, who comes to him. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Not only because Jesus is going to supply absolutely everything we need, but he's, again he's talking about how do we actually partake of this bread. He is the bread of life. We believe on him. Verse 40, this is the will of God, him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. This is the result. Jesus, the bread of life. We believe in him, we get everlasting life. Verse 47, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. We get the picture. And for those of you who are Christians here today, this is not new. This is just the very essence of our gospel, which is that by Jesus Christ came and he said, by believing on him, we shall have eternal life. No works involved. We believe in him. But this is the bit which I'm kind of leading up to. Because we're talking about abiding and remaining. So what are we actually talking about? Let's get to verse 56, where we see this word that we were read in our main passage in John 15. So John 6, verse 56, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. This is a connection to, verse, to chapter 15, which we read before. It's giving us a clue as to what is the act of actually abiding in him. It is to believe in him who was sent that is in Jesus I was at pains to show that this belief in the bread of life is what produces salvation because we we will connect with that in our own experience if you've heard the gospel before you've believed it and you've been saved and there's something about that salvation that tells us the manner in which we go about it. Is there any labour in our salvation? When Jesus said the work of God is this, it is to believe in him, what kind of labour is he actually talking about? He said, well, it's none, actually. He said, the work of God is to believe. It's a really easy thing as far as our works are concerned because he didn't say we had to go and be righteous or flog ourselves or do any number of religious activities in order to gain his salvation. He just said, uh, believe. Ephesians 2.8 tells us, for by grace you've been saved through faith. So this is an act of God towards us. It is his grace poured out on us in salvation that we simply believe and he does the rest. 
In fact, we told so many times, even as the, I was thinking about the other day, as we were reading Galatians, and he's, the Apostle Paul's kind of tackling this issue of the law. He says, how did you receive the Holy Spirit in the first place? So you received it by faith, not by these works. And he keeps urging us to work in that same vein. And what happens when we believe? There's a verse in Ephesians 3, which I think is very interesting there. It says that Christ dwells in our hearts by faith. So that same belief, which brings us to eternal life, also brings Jesus on the inside. And so this is powerful stuff, this faith, right? This, this faith is what causes us to be saved. And fundamentally, as we get to the crux of what it then means to abide, is it is the same stuff. It is the same faith in which we abide. So when he says in John 6.56, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood, that is, who believes on him who was sent, he abides in me and I in him. And it's every much the same kind of miracle to then continue abiding in him. Because I call it a miracle of the human heart. Because we, by our very nature, hate God. But when we believe, there is a great transaction that takes place by which we're born again and we now love him. And we are changed. In fact, he dwells inside of us. He gives us a new heart and a new spirit and it all comes in. And so then he says in John 15, Abide in me and I in you. And he gives us all the same clues in this passage. I am the true vine, I am the sustenance, I am actually the source of everything you're going to need is in him, it's not in you. He then says, you're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. He's already given you the word on which you're going to believe. And we've been told that by receiving him and believing on him, we abide. Abide in me and I in you. So this is the crux of the Christian life, if you will. There's no real distinction between an entering into salvation as some kind of one-time event, one, a kind of one-time faith that gets you there and then it's all over. It's actually, that is the entirety of the Christian life, is I believe and I believe and I believe and I believe and I continue to believe. I'm labouring that point uh, because we have to get to a point in our own Christian lives where we cease from our own labours. Some of you will know where that's from because I'm actually quoting something and we'll talk about that in a second. We actually remain this same faith, this same faith which doesn't require us to work, the same faith that by simple belief in him and what he has done continues. I'm thinking the verse uh, in Galatians 2, you can go to it quickly if you like or, or not, but Galatians 2 uh, verse 20, uh, Jesus starts to talk about the reality of, of believing in him. He says, I've been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live but Christ lives in me. This is what happens in salvation. It is no longer. But then he uses this beautiful kind of phrasing, the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The life that I now live, the life I continue to live is by this same faith. So that if we get one thing out of today, it's this. We are saved by faith and you live by faith. You continue to live by faith, which is literally the same thing over and over. I mentioned it last week. What is the essence of the gospel? Is we are going to hear God's word. We hear the Logos. We hear what he has said. Do we believe it? And if we believe it, there are implications, so therefore we'll do it. And we're going to be talking a bit about that next week. But that is the fundamental nature of it. Hearing his word, believing it. 
This is where I said it was not going to be a complicated message. Right? So you go, okay, great. Where is the wonder? What's the life-changing part of this? I believe, I believe, do I believe? Who of you have heard of a man called Hudson Taylor? Just a quick show of hands. Yeah. Right, for those who haven't, um, an amazing missionary, late 1800s through the early 1900s, founded the China Inland Mission. Um, and he was known for this kind of tireless effort. In fact, throughout his life, um, people would just comment about how amazed they were that he just never seemed to be flustered in the slightest. Uh, and he went through some amazingly difficult times. The, the, the Boxer Rebellion um, had you know, tens upon tens of his missionaries killed with their children. And nothing seemed to fluster him, no matter what difficulties he was facing. It was remarkable of him that um, it's like nothing perturbed him that wouldn't perturb Jesus Christ himself. Such was the, the tightness of his relationship with him. And the reason I want to bring out his example is because he had this revelation in his 30s. It wasn't always like this. And it's essentially a revelation of kind of what we're talking about, but it's the reality of it. In, all right? So it's the reality of it's actually going to change you. I can give you some basic words, believe, you're yeah, great. What does it actually look like? And I'm going to read from his testimony. I'm going to talk a bit about how it's impacted me. The rest is going to be on you because <laughs> fundamentally this word is very simple. It is believe what the word says about this. So this is what Hudson Taylor said in his 30s. I'll just give you a picture. picture. By then, he, he, he started out in missions as a young man and with a, like amazing uh, diligence. He'd, he'd done a great work in China up to that point, but it was hard work and he was at a point of really despair. He was desperate. Um, he was feeling depressed in himself, constantly feeling inadequate to the task. Um, great grief about him. Um, and so this is his words. He said, when my agony of soul was at its height, this is his words I'm quoting from now, he said, a sentence in a letter from dear McCarthy was used to remove the scales from my eyes. So this one sentence changed his life, literally. And it was in a, in a letter that he'd received from this friend. And he says, and what happened? The Spirit of God revealed to me the truth of our oneness with Jesus as I'd never known it before. It was like the truth of this just became revealed to his heart. And this is something I cannot do with my intellect. I cannot convince you anything and I cannot show you anything. All I can do is start to tell you a bit about what the Bible says about the way Jesus is in you and then it's on you to believe and actually see that come into reality. So he continues to write in this same response uh, as he realised, you know, when, when the Apostle Paul prays in Ephesians, the eyes of your hearts be enlightened, that you know as I read, I saw it all. I looked to Jesus and saw. And when I saw, oh, how joy flowed, he said. He had said, I will never leave you. I saw not only that Jesus will never leave me, but that I am a member of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. The vine, which we read of, is not the root merely, but all root, stem, branches, twigs, leaves, flowers, fruit. And Jesus is not that alone. He is soil and sunshine, air and showers, and 10,000 times more than we have ever dreamed, wished for, or needed. Oh, the joy of seeing this truth. This is the truth that Jesus is absolutely everything we need inside of us. And then he says things like this in verse 5. It's a declaration. I am the vine. You are the branches. This is not a theory. Uh, this is not a, even a, an if statement. This is literally just this is the reality. I am the vine. You are the branches. And to believe is to enter into a rest by which you actually go, this is not me anymore. 
This is Jesus in me who does everything. I'm not preparing for a sermon. I don't have to labor heavily with the intellect. There's some diligence involved. I love it. But I don't, it's not me who comes and speaks. It's him who comes inside and just goes, here. Here I am. He is inside of me. If this is true, this is true. He is inside of me. And it becomes a sense of rest. And this is the great experience that, that Hudson Taylor had. Is that he, sent, he, he said this great sense of rest. It's a time we've ceased from our labours. In fact, I want to belabor that point just a little bit because it's so compelling. If we go to Hebrews chapter 4. This tells you something about this dichotomy we've been showing the whole time. You hear God's word, what are you going to do with it? Because there will be some of us who quite happily read the word as a sense of religious duty and get through it. And, you know, you can do that and it have absolutely no value to you whatsoever. So that's rather shocking, Sean, not really. Chapter 4, verse 2. He, this, the author of Hebrews is describing the Israelites who came out of Egypt and said, For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, made no difference, was of no value to them. Why is that? Not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. You can get the word, you can hear these realities, and if you don't actually believe it, it doesn't mean anything at all to you. It's of no value. But then he says in verse 3, For we who have believed do enter that rest. And this is because God had made a promise that people would enter into his rest. And in verse 10, he, he basically tells us what it looks like, the author of Hebrews. Hebrews 4.10, For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. We know that in a salvation sense. There is nothing we can do of any value. There's nothing we bring to the table towards God that is of any value. It is all him. So we cease from our labours. But the reality is that this is a continued work. The whole point of believing in Jesus on an ongoing basis is that you cease from your works, period. So when Jesus starts talking about, without me you can't do anything, it's good. if you're going to start labouring again, you're going to go straight back to the old man. The old man starts working again and it's absolutely valueless. And I know, I know in my own life, I do that, in fact, in periods of my life where I've pretty much done nothing but that. Right? Nothing but walking in the flesh. In fact, I'd be surprised how often we actually were able to get some lens and see what was happening under the hood, how often we actually do walk in the Spirit at all. It's so foreign to our understanding of this expression with Jesus Christ, that he is in us. It's what he does in us. There's some amazing things said of Jesus. Um, I was thinking back in John 5, and I'm sorry, I'm leave, I've lost track of my notes here, so I'm just going with it. But if we go back to um, John chapter 5, Jesus said some remarkable things, saying, the Son this is Jesus, can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. Jesus could do nothing except what he saw the Father do. Are we any better? Are we any more capable of doing anything of any good in this world but that it is God in us that does it? And so what we say is basically no. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. In fact, there's so many lines to that. You know, John 6 says the flesh profits nothing, absolutely nothing at all. Um, Paul would say, for I know that in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. Jesus would say things with men, it's impossible. You can't do anything. In fact, if you're going to labour in this Christian walk in yourself, the whole lot is utterly pointless. What you need to do is get hold of this basic truth that by believing in Jesus Christ and by that continued faith in him is how everything happens. 
he comes to live inside of you. Hudson Taylor again on this. You can do any amount of work, but you can bear no fruit. You can labour in any form of religion that you like and you'll accomplish absolutely nothing. Fruit bearing is the result of abiding in Christ. Abiding in Christ, your prayers will not some of them be answered, but all of them will be answered. He's quoting from later in John 15 there. And that is part of the realities of this, is that when you abide in him, when the realities of the gospel are so real in you, that all the word starts to come alive and it all starts to become true. It's not hyperbole when Jesus is describing these things about answered prayer. It is the reality because when God is within you made manifest, everything becomes possible. When it's not true, nothing is. There's no halfway measure about it. God becomes an all-consuming fire that takes over and when he is in you and through you and working in that way, everything is possible. And it's become really transparent to me in recent times just how much my tendency is to live by the old nature. Like even preparing for a sermon like this, you know, God will give me a little thought and I go, oh my goodness, wow. This hit me so hard the other week. It's hard to describe what happened that night. Um, there was this, this kind of you know, experiential sense as well, but just the fact that God was able to so clearly work through me that night. And there was some stuff happening in the family which just got resolved rapidly that night it, with like no effort. It was amazing. But then I'll get that and then I'll go, okay, I know how to prepare a sermon now. I know how to write the, the stuff down and I know how to prepare it. It's like, no. So the moment I, my head gets in it, it all starts to get ruined, quite literally. So no, by, it's literally just this very innate sense of being with him, that he is in us and we are in him. These are not theological concepts. They're not abstract realities. It's not like, okay, well, we kind of understand that and therefore we should kind of do this. These are realities. There's realities as living and breathing that he is inside of us and that we need to encounter and experience that. And the beauty of it all is that the encountering experiencing of it is not some labour you do, not some flogging of yourself. It's literally believe in Jesus Christ and believe what he says about you in this. Believe that he says, I am in you. Believe that his word cleanses us. Yeah, just thinking Hebrews 11, for without faith it is impossible to please him. And so it is that we need to learn to become people of much more faith, much more faith in our daily living. Uh, Because you'll find, as I've found in my own life, that you'll see verses or passages of scripture that are challenging to the way you live and you go, ah, no, I won't. But God is there where faith is. He's there in salvation when we believe on it for that. And he's there with every promise he makes especially those promises which have a bearing out in today because that's what we talk about when we talk about John 15 and the reality of Christ in us is that these are realities that bear out today and if you don't see this you do have to ask what's the point of believing for something you can't see when you can't see the evidence or fruit of something that should be changing you right now right faith has an outworking and you see it and it's important that we get to that point where we do see it so I just want to give you a couple of things that will help you in terms of getting this reality, I say it's not something I can do with the intellect. It's not something I can convince you of. It's something, no, it's not something that's going to, kind of, okay, well, follow this X, Y, Z, read the Bible X minutes a day and you'll, you'll be right. But there certainly is a key in terms of this aspect of believing because when we talk about belief, it's always in response to something. What was that response to? It was in response to God's word. All right, he speaks to us, all right? And he speaks to us in multiple ways. The Logos, the Word, 
all right, get this really close to you. And I don't mean just kind of do it academically or look, I mean, get to the point where this thing is alive and read it because I enjoy it. And this has exploded for me. In fact, I had to buy the physical copy in the end because I found it so uh, frustrating on the phone after I was starting to read any volume of it. And I've got all kinds of highlighters at home which are ever by my side now. Um, but it's just becoming alive to me. And as part of the work is as we see uh, the, the belief in God that it's all true, that this great desire comes through because what a treasure trove there is. What glorious happenings. Like I just mentioned, you know, Reinhard Bonnke described, what glorious happenings are in here that can be in us. The same power working in the men in here. You know, James, when he's talking about prayers of faith, he goes and mentions a man called Elijah. He was a like man with like passions as us, yet God used him in the same way. We are the same people with the same spirit as in here. So start reading this. Get it into you. Again, on Hudson Taylor said, if you're feeding upon Christ, if you're dwelling with him, if you're feeding, by his, if you're feeding on his words, if you're continually feeding upon him, you will grow up into him, your living head. He'll become your power and strength and there will be a blessed union and there'll be no separation. There's another passage if we go back to our original text in John 15, just after the one I read in verse 7. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Right, so there is a sense by which we he- the more we hear of the word of God, the more that reality of abiding becomes present. So you've got to devour this thing. I don't mean a chapter a day kind of stuff. I mean like love it. Um, just absolutely devour the thing. But what's interesting about that verse 7 is when Jesus says the word, I think there's, there's two Greek words often used to describe the word in, in Greek, the, the, the logos and the rhema, all right? Uh, one kind of ref- generally would refer to God's divine expression in his word, and the other, the more direct expression of him to us right now, as in sp- something spoken to us. And Jesus actually flips the usage of the word in that verse 7 to something spoken, right? Because the reality is this book is not going to profit you anything unless you believe it. And as part of believing, as it becomes alive in you, God actually speaks to you, right? Not just abstractly, not just intellectually got it, but he speaks to you, to your heart. It becomes alive in you and it actually has to get to that point where this thing comes alive in you and it starts to jump out. So the beautiful thing of that is that you can read this. You can be not an intellect. You don't need to go to Bible college or be an amazing theologian or anything. You can, simple person, read and comprehend this. They're basic things. So much of this is really simple stuff. I'm literally telling you to read it and believe it. This is not complicated. I think we're just going to talk briefly about the act of believing. This is more just a preparation for the next couple of sermons um, and then we'll wrap up. Um, But basically faith as we believe is not just intellectually getting it. Right, and hopefully that's conveyed. Hopefully you can kind of get a sense of something stirring in me because I'm just jumping out at the moment, out of my skin it feels. Um, but there's a real livingness to the word of God when it comes inside and it's breathed in faith. But that faith is not just understanding. It's believing, grabbing hold of, and it come, has fruit in all kinds of different ways. We end up loving, we end up obeying him. Right? That's very important. We're going to be hearing about that in the coming weeks. But for now, I want to just get that very raw, elementary principle that we believe God, we hear his word, we believe what it says. Over and over again, the gospel is this, that if we would hear God's words and what his words say about us as we were, that we were sinners, we will hear his words now that by belief in his name, we will have eternal life. And if we do that word which he has given us, 
then we'll experience that result. And the result for Hudson Taylor was an absolute phenomenal shift from his life. From that day forward, everything had changed. He had literally gone uh, from this man who was deeply depressed and distressed at all times to a man who found things just amazingly easy. Um, I've lost my quote because I've gone all over my notes here, so we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> this was the actual reality that he experienced. And so it's something that I've kind of just started tapping into and feeling it is phenomenal stuff. As we hear speaking today, in everything we do, when you go out the back and you start talking with people, as you go about the work that you need to do, him in us is a reality. His words are a reality. Every word we can say can come from him, and it needs to. Otherwise, we've got to accomplish nothing. Amen? Well, yeah, I think let's leave it there. I've said enough. Hear the word, believe it. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, so much that your word is alive, <laughs> that it is real, Lord. Lord, I pray we would believe it. I pray we would experience it, Lord. I pray that we would remain steadfast in you, Father, with that great sense of ease whereby we can just rest in you, Lord. You are the one who does the work, Lord. You are the one who gives everything required for fruit, Lord. And I know what your desire is for us, Lord, that we would go out from this place and be fruitful, Lord. And I pray that would be a reality in this place and amongst your people. And Lord, I pray that we would receive the word simply by faith, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.